Hi guys! Welcome back to Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and I'm always kind of doing different things, getting ready, um, but this is not one of those me do my makeup the whole time YouTube channels. This is just me doing whatever I can get myself to do on camera while I tell you about this week's episode. So if you did listen to this week's episode, um, this I'm going to tell in a different order than I told on the podcast. So I don't know why. I just am. I'm just like living my life. If you're curious, I'm just getting ready to go to a little casual dinner with my husband later. He's still working. I got some spare time. So I'm really going to lay down the works. Um, if you're interested in listening to my podcast, it is called Storytime Slayer. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, a- anywhere you can find podcasts. iHeartRadio, I'm there. I'm in there like swimwear. And if I'm not there, shoot me an email at storytimepods at gmail.com because I would love to be wherever I need to be. I, I mean, I'm not even on Amazon Audible. Okay. Leave me a five-star review on Apple if you do listen to my podcast. Um, go check out my Facebook, Storytime Slayer. That's where I post all the pictures, videos, anything that really coincides with the cases that I know you guys want to see and a little description of it. And let's just, you know, subscribe, follow, like, share. I don't know, but let's just get started. Lisa Carlson Formerly known as Lisa Dom, that's her maiden name, she was born in San Diego, California in 1971. She is a military brat. Her dad was in the military, so she and her sister Shannon traveled all over the world, all over the country, until eventually the family settled down in the Washington area, and then Lisa settled down in Washington, Tacoma in her early 20s. While there, she met this man named Daniel Carlson in 1993. Unlike Lisa, Dan was not beautiful, vivacious, outgoing, any of those things. Dan was actually not very attractive, Um, very quiet, very reserved, shy, um, just a whole different vibe. But you know what they say, opposites attract. And the couple has a um, whirlwind romance. They actually get married after just a year of knowing each other in 1994. And then they have twin boys relatively quickly in 1995. Their names are Nikki and Chris, right? Is it Chris? Mm, I think so. Okay, despite the whirlwind relationship, the quick marriage and having the twin boys, Once they get settled into their life, listen, they are not floating on cloud nine. They are not in Kansas anymore because Dan was not that nice. Um, When people went back and talked to Lisa's coworkers before she quit working and some of her friends, they actually said it was not uncommon for Lisa to have bruises. And when people asked her where she got these bruises from, she was not one to lie. She said, Dan. Dan did it. Dan was abusive. Dan was controlling. He just wasn't a super nice guy. So on top of that, like I said, she quits work. She's a stay-at-home mom. I mean, they have twin boys, so I'm sure childcare is a factor in this, you know? And money is really, really tight. In fact, it is so tight that the couple gets a bunch of credit cards in Dan's name, and then that's kind of how they're trying to make ends meet, which... I don't know if you guys know this, but 
it never works. It never works to do that. Like that's just not, ugh, I always layer my concealer so lightly. Like I'm afraid I'm gonna do too much. Um, that's just not how you do it. You cannot, you know, make ends meet with credit cards because then how do you pay the credit cards, right? Exactly what happens, okay? So they're broke as a joke. They're up to credit card debt, like nobody's business. Dan is physically abusive. It's just, it sucks. It sucks. So what the couple decides to do, they really had no choice, is Dan's parents offered them to move them a mobile home onto their property, which was in Kapowson, Washington, a.k.a. bumfuck Egypt. It's literally in the middle of nowhere at the end of a two-mile-long dead-end road. So they, like I said, they have no choice. It's literally, I think, the only place the couple can afford to live and still be able to like get by and get on their feet. So they're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. At first, it's like not ideal because it's so far away, but you know, there's some pluses like Dan's mom's there to help with the kids because it's her property. The mobile home that Dan's mom lives in and the mobile home that they brought on there for Dan's and his family to live in is only a hundred yards away from each other. So like she's there to help with the twin boys, you know, give Lisa a little bit of a break, get that freedom. But of course, much like my mother-in-law, Carol is a damn nightmare and her and Lisa just don't hit it off. They, they do not get along whatsoever. So I think the reason for this is because Carol was extremely overbearing and pushy and she totally had like no respect for Lisa and Dan's privacy and just felt that because, you know, it's her land and it's her property and it's probably they... I imagine help them get the mobile home in the first place. She just felt like she could walk in and do whatever she wanted at Lisa's house. Didn't knock, didn't call first, just would barge right on in. And then of course, you know, she'd always do that thing where she says like, you know, stuff about how you raise your kids. Like, oh, should you do that? What do you think? I don't know. I don't agree with that. So anyway, they just don't hit it off. It's not a match. So Lisa tries to talk to Dan about this and be like, you you've got to set some boundaries with your mom. Things just like are not working out for me. I feel very uncomfortable. And Dan's like, you know what? I'm a mama's boy and that's my mom. And you're just going to have to learn to live with it. So we're off to a really rocky start already. And mind you, we're only like three, four years in to this marriage. Despite the fact that the couple moved there to work on their marriage and money problems, um, their money problems don't really seem to get any better. They actually have to file bankruptcy. Um, it's just unfortunate. So things are really taking a turn for the worst. The couple... Can I talk into my makeup? I don't know. The couple files bankruptcy and in the fall of... 1997 they also decide they want to be separated they can't get a divorce because you're not allowed to get a divorce while you're undergoing bankruptcy hearings but they do actually sign a written like separation agreement in 1997 okay so when i say that lisa and dan are separated they are they're still living together though because they're both you know like super broke they do sleep in separate bedrooms they have a written arrangement lisa watches the boys during the day dan watches the boys at night after work um and i don't know i guess they're just kind of doing their best to 
figure things out, even though they both are like, you know, having severe financial issues. It's really hard to separate from people when you're poor, I think. Like it, 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 I can genuinely say like, I just think it makes it really hard to see how it's all gonna turn out. So I think they were kind of going through that. And now let's introduce Sean McKillop. So Sean was a longtime friend of Dan's. In fact, him and Dan went to high school together and they were like best friends during high school. And Sean starts visiting Dan and Lisa every day when they move to, to, uh, to the, the middle of nowhere. So Dan works long hours. Remember, he's a nurse. So that's just like a long time um, that Sean is putting in with Lisa. Eventually, they develop feelings for each other, right? And it is the late 90s. So the internet's really taking off right now. This is kind of on a side note. And Sean is really good at using the internet. He's like really into technology and computers at the time. Whereas Dan's not. And Lisa's like, shit, I'm so bored living in the middle of nowhere. Yes, I will totally learn how to use a computer. So Sean teaches Lisa how to log into this prehistoric AOL, um, which is an online chat room, right? And what you would do is you would dial up... And you would log in to this chat room and you would type whatever it was that you had to say and they called it bulletins. And then you would log off and wait for somebody else to log on and dial up and see what they had to say. So it sounds like it took forever to relay a message. But nonetheless, Sean teaches Lisa how to do this. So what happens, of course, we know where this is going, right, is Lisa and Sean start to develop feelings for each other. They're hanging out all the time, with or without Dan there. They're talking online all the time. Like, shit is hitting off between them. So with their relationship progressing and Sean becoming Lisa's like main confidant, she does reveal to him intimate parts of her life, um, her relationship with Dan's mom, how they don't get along, how, you know, why they don't get along. And also she releases very intimate details about her and Dan's life to Sean, like how Dan was abusive, um, how, you know, they weren't really in love and da, 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 all leading up to the separation. So you guys know dang well, 1997, the minute that Lisa and Dan separate, Sean is in there like swimwear. Okay, baby. And Sean and Lisa do start having an actual legitimate relationship. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure they must've been having an affair before they started actually dating. But I mean, who's to say, right? So Lisa is now dating Sean and she gives Sean this tape and she says, hey, I want you to hold on to this um, in case something should ever happen to me. And he's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, Dan's becoming more and more physically abusive and aggressive towards me. And this is kind of like insurance in case something happens to me. And on the recording is Lisa and Dan had just gotten into some type of physical altercation and she starts recording him secretly without Dan knowing place. And she gets him to admit on this tape that he tried to strangle her. Well, she says, you tried to kill me. And he's like, no, I didn't. And she's like, yeah, you did. You tried to strangle me. And he's like, 
No, no. I put my hands around your neck, Lisa, but like I didn't apply pressure. So she is, she, she gives Sean this tape and she's like, listen, things are getting pretty bad at home. Um, I'm getting scared. I'm afraid for my life. And Sean urges her like, you need to leave now, Lisa. Like, fuck that bankruptcy shit. You need to get away from Dan. And she's like, well, I don't know. I just need some time to figure out the bankruptcy, get through the divorce. Um, and then, I'll, and then I'll for sure pack up the boys and I'll leave for good. And why she felt like she had to wait for a divorce, I don't really know. I wish I did. I wish I had more of the answers for things like that, but I genuinely don't. But for whatever reason, Lisa was like, no, I can stay living here in Kapowson in the middle of nowhere with this weird arrangement with Dan because once the bankruptcy's done, we're going to get divorced and everything will be okay. As time goes on, we're talking months, okay? That we're, we're talking months. Within months, Lisa and Sean are like, man, once I get that divorce, we are for sure gonna start a life together. And they make plans that once Lisa's free and clear of this whole Dan situation, her and Sean are going to take the boys and they're probably gonna move to Arizona because Sean has family in Arizona and it just seems like a really nice place for the couple to like start over and start their lives together, right? By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the relationship between Sean and Lisa is not like a secret, okay? Once Lisa and Dan had like decided to separate, they did come forward and people knew that they were in a relationship together, but they tried to be really, really respectful. Um, However, you know, Sean would still go hang out with Lisa at the trailer when Dan was gone once the separation started after everyone knew that they were in a relationship together. So that to me is like kind of odd because, you know, I don't know, Dan's parents live like 100 yards away. It just seems like it would be awkward. But okay, so Sean says what really made him concerned for Lisa and what got him to quit going over to the trailer is one day, it's February of 1998, so they must have been in this relationship, you know, like three, four months openly. Um, he was hanging out over there. Lisa was folding laundry. He's like, I don't know, watching TV. Who knows? On the internet. I don't know. Whatever he does. And he said that Lisa's mother-in-law, Carol, Dan's mom, storms into the house. Uninvited, unannounced. Nobody knew she was coming over. And she starts this argument with Lisa. Like, they're screaming at each other. They're yelling at each other. And it's about Lisa betraying Dan. And she's like, Carol, me and Dan are separated. Like, what, what, what do you want me to do? I can't move out. We have this agreement. We're going to live together. My boyfriend's here. Like, you know, what are you doing? So they're yelling and arguing with each other. And then Carol storms out of the trailer. And a few minutes later, Carol's husband, Dan's dad, Daryl, he walks in the front door and he starts choking Lisa. And Lisa's yelling to Sean, you know, call 911, call 911. And he's like, what the heck? So he, of course he does call 911, but Daryl immediately stops choking Lisa. And he like looks around and he's like, oh, you guys aren't naked. It sounds like something Homer Simpson would do, right? Like start choking Bart and then be like, oh, oops. So yeah, he stops choking Lisa. He sees himself out of the house, goes back to his own house. But 
from that point forward, Sean did quit going to Lisa's house and Lisa would just come visit Sean and like have sleepovers with him and they didn't co-mingle at Lisa's house anymore. Okay. So I gotta, I'm sorry, I had to get things going because I've got to go soon. So, Dan... Okay, so I want to talk about this dang crime scene. So now police can definitely rule out Sean, but they still have, you know, Dan, his mom, and his dad as like their main suspects. The stepdad or dad, I don't know, Dan's mom's husband, he gets ruled out immediately because he has a pretty solid alibi. He for sure was at work during the hours he would have had to have been home to have pulled off this crime. So that just leaves Carol and Dan. We'll come back to that. Let's talk about the crime scene. So when police investigate the crime scene, as I said, they could definitely tell that the whole robbery ransacking thing was staged. So they're like, well, who staged it? Let's look at the rest of the evidence. Um, they can't really find anything forensic like DNA or fingerprints, especially because they think the perpetrators of these crimes were Dan possibly or his mother, Carol. So they're like, shit. So let's talk about Lisa though. As I said, Lisa was slumped back like she was watching TV. She had a blanket pulled up to her waist and two gunshots to the head, one to the chest. Well, when police remove the blanket from Lisa, they actually find that she had her pants pulled down, a adult toy between her legs and a remote attached to that toy in her vicinity. I think it was like in her hand or near her hand. So they're like, what's going on here? And the VCR is an adult film that's paused right, right in the middle of the film, okay, in the VCR. If you don't know what a VCR is, oh, you too young to be here, y'all. And they're like, whoa. So on this adult toy and remote is blood. And it's not blood splatter, it's actually smeared blood as if it was touched by somebody with a bloody hand. And the thing about this is Lisa, once, once she had been shot, she was completely incapacitated. She could not have touched, adjusted, moved anything. She couldn't have gotten the, transferred the blood onto these items, nor could she have like pulled the blanket up nice and tidy over herself and it was just weird. So they're like, holy crap, I think somebody staged this crime. So Pierce County Sheriff's Department, they bring the entire couch into the basement and they completely reset the whole crime, blood splatter and everything. And then they trace the blood splatter back to its origin, which did not match to where Lisa was lying. In fact, it looked as if when Lisa was shot, she was sitting straight up facing her assailant interesting so obviously her body's been moved and this crime's been staged all the way down to her being undressed her having an adult toy and her watching a pornographic film lisa did not die while self-pleasuring okay this was just one part of the staging to try and further humiliate and just like make lisa kind of shame her shame her in her death who would want to do that? Who would want to do that? Carol and Dan. Those are literally the only people that police can think of who would want to do something like that to Lisa. So they're like, shit. 
So they get a search warrant and they search Carol's home, hoping that they can find the 22 caliber weapon. They do not, but they do find something really interesting. They find these journals and a set of binoculars. And in these journals, Carol is keeping a damn spy log of Lisa. She's literally writing down when Lisa comes and goes, what time, what she's doing, what she's wearing. And as time progresses, Carol starts actually adding tidbits into these journals about why she doesn't like Lisa, how shitty of a housekeeper Lisa is, what she's like as a mom and a wife and a daughter. It's just crazy. So literally police have in black and white Carol's motive, why she didn't like Lisa, what she didn't like about Lisa, and how heavily she was spying on her. So then police circle back. And they go talk to Carol and they're like, hey, Carol, um, we're just curious how the boys got to your house. Could you talk to us about this? And Carol clarified the boys had wandered through the hundred yards of forest between the two homes, not around to the street, which is really interesting because even Dan took the road to get to their house because the foliage between Carol and Lisa's was way too thick and heavy for these three year old toddlers to have you know, maneuvered through. It was ridiculous. It was absurd that she thought that. Um, so they're like, okay, she's, she's lying. We think she's lying. We definitely think she's lying. But in the meantime, all police can really do is mull over everything that they have, all the forensics, and wait for the computer analysis to come back. The computer analysis on Lisa's laptop does in fact come back. And it shows that somebody made several attempts to log into Lisa's email shortly after they believe she died. And the only person they can think of who would have done this would be Carol to try and make it look like Lisa was alive later in the day. Okay. The reason I say it had to have been Carol because Dan would have had to have been on his way to work to have made it to work for his alibi at the time Carol was getting into Lisa's email. Bada bing, bada boom. When police spoke to Lisa's mom, she said that she tried to call Lisa several times the day Lisa was supposed to come to her house. But Dan insisted that the police officers take and listen to the voicemail machine, which they did. They would have taken it anyway. Like, come on, Dan, what, what are you, a damn detective? So. They listen back to this voicemail machine over and over and over. And hello, there's no voicemails from Lisa's mom. There's only voicemails from Carol saying, Lisa, Lisa, where are you? I got the boys. This is crazy. Is everything okay? Just so annoying. Carol, you suck. And they're like, hmm, I think somebody tampered with this voicemail. So they send it to the only FBI. What is this? Oh. I'm a slob. So they send it to the only FBI person that they think could actually check to see if this voicemail machine had been tampered with at all. And he in fact does say yes. This tape has definitely been rewinded and recorded over. Ah, I mean, who doesn't rewind and record over stuff like that though, right? But the point is Carol had to have been the person who did it that day in particular because the voicemails were left after Dan obviously had gone to work and before police got there. So Carol is the only person who could have possibly, possibly done this. Plus, police asked Carol, hey, Carol, did you hear any gunshots that day? And, you know, spy girl, you know, Carol Impossible said she didn't hear any gunshots that day. And I 
definitely think she would have as close as their trailers are. I mean, these are mobile homes. These are not like compounds built underground. She would have heard it. So police take a minute. They take a breath. They arrest them. They compile all their evidence. It takes about, I think, two years to actually take them to trial. But Lisa and Dan do go to trial, and they're both sentenced to 37 years. The judge said, if if it was in my power, I'd have given y'all 200 years, and I'm here for that. Yes. The sad thing, though, is in 2008, both their convictions were overturned because of a technicality with the search warrant. I'm... I was going to say something about it, but I hate to speak out of turn and embarrass myself if I'm wrong. So moving on. Um, They both were, you know, retried, though, the state press charges again. And this time they wised up and they pled guilty, which irritates the shit out of me. So Carol was giving a significantly shorter sentence and she was actually released that year in 2008 for time already served. And Dan, he was resentenced to like, I think 23 years. I'm, this is off the top of my head. That's how my YouTube goes, guys. My YouTube's always off the top of my head. I'm so sorry. So he was sentenced to like 23 years and he actually was supposed to have gotten paroled this year. And I'm pretty sure he already did because I tried to look him up in the Washington DOC and I couldn't find him, but I, I'm not a PI. I'm not a PI. I am just a girl with podcasting gear. Okay, and a heart to Google. That's all I am. I don't know. But this story really stood out to me because it is really hard when you're in a rural, isolated area and you are experiencing, you know, poverty and an inability to really hack it on your own and you get put in these situations. I could have been Elisa years ago. I I had my own Dan. Okay, he's long gone now. You don't see him, but it's just really unfortunate and, you know, it's really sad. But Lisa's twin boys were awarded to her parents and they actually share visitation rights, though, with Dan's parents. So Dan's parents do get visitations with both boys. The boys, though, I mean, Lord, they're not kids anymore. They're they're older than me. Or no, they're my age. Shoot. They're like a year or two younger than me. Ugh. Wow. Wow. I'm getting old. getting old so anyway it must have been so heartbreaking to have to let those kids go to the visitation to see dan's parents but lisa's dad said something really touching in an interview he did he said that he celebrates her life he's not gonna you know stay angry and spit fire he celebrates his daughter's life and i think that's beautiful so Thank you so much for tuning in, you know, do the whole thing, like, share, subscribe, follow, you know, review, I don't know, comment down below what you thought, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.